Hello, and welcome to the H in HR podcast, where people discuss the most important aspect of human resources, the human aspect. Now, here is your host, Ricky Baez. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ricky Baez, your host of the HNHR podcast, coming to you from beautiful Orlando, Florida, over at the A1A Beachfront Studios. And folks, it's November. It's the second week in November. There's literally six weeks left in 2023. And I remember, yeah, it was this time last year. I started thinking about, you know, what 2023 was going to look like, what the new year was going to bring. And, you know, up until 2020, a lot of people have bold predictions about what the next year is going to bring. And, you know, the pandemic kind of threw a threw a wrench into that machine. But, you know, here we are about to uh, to come into 2024. And I'm wondering, for the people out there, this time last year, when you started making a list of all the things you want to accomplish in 2023, how, how far down the list did you get? Forget about working out because working out is different, right? Trying to lose weight is different. Almost everybody makes a New Year's resolution to lose weight. They go to the gym in January and then they stop going in February. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm not talking down to people because I'm actually in that group. It's uh, so I'm wondering for the people who go to the gym constantly, I'm wondering if January is the worst time of year for them because that's when their gym, their safe space where they go to relieve some stress, that's when it gets insanely packed. And it's not insanely packed with the people you normally work out with. It's just people who just made a resolution like me. (laughs) So I'm wondering, uh, it's for the people who constantly go to the gym. I'm wondering if that is a bad time. And it's maybe they take time off. Maybe that's the one time of the year where they don't, don't go to the gym. I don't know. But for the business folks, for the people who made all kinds of resolutions for the business, I'm wondering how far along the list did you get? So shoot me an email, ebaez at baezco.com. That's E-B as in boy, A-E-Z as in zebra at baezco.com. That's B-A-E-Z-C-O.com. I'm curious to find out. So, but folks, we're going to jump right into it today because today... I had the pleasure of having an amazing conversation with none other, other, none other than Karen Nutter. Let me let you know about Karen. Now, she's a professional trainer, executive coach, author, and founder of CBK Advising, which they're based out of Jacksonville, Florida. That's actually where I met Karen. Um, I saw I was the MC of Disrupt HR Jacksonville 1.0. And uh, she went up on stage, did an amazing job. She just killed it so much that we invited her again for uh, for um, uh, J- uh, Disrupt HR Jacksonville 2.0 um, earlier this year. And who knows, maybe it'll happen for 3.0. But she did an amazing job. Now, she, Karen is a certified emotional intelligence analyst, and she's also a certified master coach. She's also the author of The Power of EQ, Stronger Leadership Through Emotional Intelligence. And folks, that is what she and I are going to talk about today. We had a great conversation about leadership. We had a great conversation about emotional intelligence. And folks, I got to tell you, from, from, from an HR consultant who's been doing HR for 22 years, the one thing I tell, actually, there's two things I tell leaders to do. Get a book on anything with emotional intelligence and get a book with anything with negotiating, right? Because those are the two key things you're going to need as a leader. Anywhere you go, those two things you're going to need. Well, anyway, let's just jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Karen Nutter. Check it out. 
Karen Nutter. My friend, how in the world are you today? Well, I'm talking to you, Ricky, so I'm doing great. Really? Who told you that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who told you that? Okay. Well, I mean, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. So, Karen, you, I've, the first time I met you, it was at a Disrupt HR event. And when I saw you strut on stage, I'm like, okay, she's different, right? But your strut wasn't, you wasn't strutting just to strut. You actually meant it. And every time you go on stage, you have this, this, this different energy that I don't care how tired somebody is, because, you know, disrupt each other happens after work. I don't care how tired anybody is. People feel energized, right? And, and this is what you do for a living, right? You energize people at work? I do. I don't mean to. It's just who I am. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, right? So I'm glad you do. So so you own an organization, right? You own an, an organization called CBK Consulting. What's that all about? So we do a lot of things, but we aren't HR. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Who we, wants to be HR anyway? Uh, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> right. True. <laughs> So we do team development. We partner with companies to help them strategically change their culture based on science. We do one-on-one executive coaching. We also do a development with sales teams to help them have strategy in their arena because it's a different arena necessarily than the office. Mm. And I have a sales background and so does my colleague and she does the majority of it, but I chime in when needed, like I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. I do the team development. She does the one-on-ones with them. So we do a lot of things. So I was reading on your website that um, your your the the foundation of the services you provide is it's based on emotional intelligence. And Karen, I gotta tell you. If more leaders, if more people picked up a book, any book, and, I, and and look, this is what I tell all of my students. If you want to do yourself a favor, pick up a book on emotional intelligence. Actually, you wrote a book on it, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So 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 I tell everybody, pick up a book. Now I'm going to tell, pick up Karen's book. What's the name of your book? The name of my book is The Power of EQ, Stronger Leadership Through Emotional Intelligence. I wish more leaders uh, picked up your book or books like that because I believe the higher up you go in an organization, the less technical you have to be at your job and the more people-centric you have to become. And in order for you to be people-centric, right, motivating other employees, the the better is, well, not the better, but I think the more you're able to connect with employees, the better you're going to be as a leader in that organization. So I guess my my question to you, what brought you down this path, right? Because you've got a background in sales, right? And then from sales, jumping from sales into working with teams and having a foundation of EQ, how did that transition happen? So it actually happened, believe it or not, Ricky, when I was seven. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so what happened is I was raised by a single mom. She was 17 when she had me. Mm. We lived in extreme poverty. I would beg neighbors for food. Oh, wow. Yes, it was very bad. Wow. And at seven, my mom said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to help people get better jobs, 
move up in the organization. I didn't use those words, but whatever words a seven-year-old uses at that time. And I said, I want to help them do better so they don't have a car that breaks down. I didn't say like ours, but that's what I wanted to say. Mm. And she said, well, you can't do that. Oh. Because no one can afford to pay for that. Well, her perspective was no one can afford to pay for that because she couldn't afford to pay for that. Mm. So she said, in order to not be like us, you have to go into sales. That's the only way women make money. So my first career was in sales and marketing. I was in it 10 years. I was number two in the country, killing myself to be number one. And I became bedridden. And I was bedridden for two and a half years. And when I say bedridden, I mean, I would forget to eat. I would not bathe. I had to have help with all of it. Oh, wow. And during that time, as I started getting a little more cognizant of where I was, I made a pact with God. If you get me well... I will go do what I'm supposed to do that you wanted me to do, which is not sales. Mm. Well, guess what? He got me well. (laughs) So guess what Karen had to do? She had to get to work. That's right. And so I first thing I did was I went through coach training and I did a two-year coach training. And then I developed myself and part of developing myself in order to walk in the shoes that I wanted to tell my clients to walk in was developing my own emotional intelligence Mm. and realizing what my triggers were and what triggered me on a day-to-day basis and how the person in the audience who heckles me triggers me. Why does that trigger me? Learning all of these things about myself, recovering from them, getting better at them. And then I went, oh, I probably should share this with the world. So, so that's how I got where I am today. So something interesting that that you just said. You said that you grew up in a you know in in a poor environment. So based on what you just told me, as far as you you figuring out what you wanted to be at seven years old, I mean, a lot of how you grow up kind of shaped what you're doing today. So I'm wondering if you didn't grow up in a, uh, in a, in, in a poor environment, I'm wondering, will you be where you are today? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it, 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 it does, it does motivate you. It did motivate you, excuse me, right. To, uh, to actually go down this road on how you grow up. Yes. It, first of all, I was writing out the checks for rent Mm-hmm. I was handling the people that knocked on the door of the bills we couldn't pay. I was handling everything and it taught me how to take charge. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it also taught me that I don't want to be in that position. But remember, I made a pact with God. If he gets me well, I'll go do what I'm supposed to do. Even if it means I'm not making money. Mm. That's true motivation. And that's part of emotional intelligence is motivated enough to work even when you don't get paid. Mm. And my motivation is my strongest component of emotional intelligence. Look at that. I've learned through my assessment, which surprised me because I'm like all about return on investment, but I'm self-motivated as a result of the environment. So that said, that said, it, 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 it's figuring out early enough because I guess you were lucky enough to figure this out really early in life as far as what, 
how it, it's how to manage your emotion because you just said that whenever somebody heckles you or something happens, what are your triggers? Your triggers and your triggers. And I love that approach because it's it, it, it's you're saying that a leader or anybody in a position of influence they have to look in the mirror and really dissect what they see. Whereas other other folks who do this kind of stuff, they're always focusing on understanding other people. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like your approach because you start with understanding yourself, right? If we don't understand ourselves, there is no way, I hate to say it, that we can be a good leader. There's just no way. So let me ask you this then. So what do you say to that leader? What what do you say to that leader who says, hey, Karen, come on over. I want you to talk to my team. My team are just a bunch of freaking idiots, right? They do everything wrong. They don't do what I say, right? And so what do you tell that leader that that wants your services but has that mentality? Because I've dealt with those leaders before, but I'm wondering what you have to say about it. The first thing I say is, what do you mean they're idiots? Hmm. Because most people are capable, creative, and complete without your input. So when was the last time you asked them what they think you should do rather than you telling them what they should do? Uh, Why do you think leaders have a hard time with that, though? Because some of them want to seem as if they know everything. Mm -hmm. And and the first thing I teach a leader in one-on-one coaching is you don't have to know anything. Because they have all the information. Mm. Your job is to pull it out of them. And I'm going to help you learn how to do that. Because they'll have ideas far greater than your ideas. And this is what people need to understand. So I'm glad you said that because a lot of a, a, a lot of people in that position of influence need to understand that. Yeah, you know, you have to have some kind of knowledge to get to where you got to today, but you're responsible for the success of a bunch of other people who report up to you. So, it, you know, you don't know everything, right? Obviously, Steve Jobs said it best. You it, it, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, and you don't have to hire smart people to tell them what to do. You hire smart people so they can tell you what to do. You surround yourself with that kind of feedback, Right. But it, it, I, just, I just don't understand why some some people in those positions have a hard time accepting that. Or even then, how did they get, how would you guess they got to that position with that mentality, with a mentality that I know everything and my employees know less? I don't know. <laughs> that was the realest answer I've heard all day. Like, Ricky, I have no idea, man. I really have no idea. Uh, you know what I've learned, Karen? I've learned that, uh, at least in this country, right, it really isn't, you know, it's, it, it, I'm going to be careful how to say this. No, no, I'm going to say it. It really isn't difficult to get ahead. It really isn't, right? Because you just have to be passionate about a specific item or a specific subject, and you have to have the right influence in place, and boom, you're there. You're done. You don't have to be a genius. And I say that because um, I had a hard time with this in my career early on, because to me, I didn't discover the power of EQ until about four or five years into my HR career. And I'm like, what is this about, right? Emotional intelligence. Now, now HR is, you know, it's becoming this fluffy type of, now 
a lot of leaders are going to say that, right? HR. I knew one 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 business partner, Karen, that he had a um, a business card for HR that said uh, Job Savers Incorporated <laughs> because oh my wanted, gosh. Yeah, because every time he wanted to let somebody go, HR will always step in to tell him how he's doing it wrong and and how he shouldn't do it. But it, it's, it's I digress. I guess what what I'm saying is is that. I didn't realize the power of that until later on. And it made me realize even more. I'm like, how do people get ahead without knowing how to relate to employees, without knowing how to deal with the different emotional communication styles that are out there? So when you meet a client for the first time and and to try to figure out what their issue is, what's the first thing you do with a client? Get to know them. Okay. How? Tell me about yourself. I am. Uh, I I lead this organization, and all my employees are idiots. <laughs> what do you, I know you said earlier that you wanted to ask why are they idiots, right? But you know, you do have some people out there who's got that mentality. But when they tell you that, right? It, at least to me, because I've had some people tell me that as well. And my question is the same thing. What you say, Karen, it's, uh, you know, why Why do you think they're idiots? Let's have a conversation about that. Because when I hear that automatically, and I need to stop myself um, automatically, I'm thinking, yeah, right, you're the problem, right? Not the employees. But, you know, it, and, and I learned along the way how to pick people's brain, how to understand, how to ask the right questions to kind of get them to look at the mirror exactly how you said and and mm-hmm. and figure out what they have. But what are the steps that you have in place? So you get to know them, right? Once you get to know them, do you build something out based on what you get, the feedback you get from them? Sort of. Okay. But it evolves and it changes. So for example, my call this morning was with the CEO. He doesn't do any details in the company as a president for that. I keep him as a visionary. And what do we work on? We work on all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But when he complains about something, I say, now, is this one of those situations where there's one finger pointing at them and four pointing back at you? Or is this truly them not understanding what they're supposed to be doing? And he goes, I got to check on that. Mm. He's well aware, though. Yeah. That when he's disappointed in something, he has to look at himself, not just the team. And so we have evolved over nine years of I've been coaching him. And every at the end of every session, I say, do we still want to get together next month? And he says, well, yeah, why not? Mm. Mm. Because that way there's no contract when he's sick of me or I'm sick of him. We're done. Bye-bye. It's already done. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So, so we're always evolving. So my strategy with coaching is always evolving. Now my strategy to change a culture, little different, Mm. a lot different. There has to be a strategy. But so, so how do you, how do you, how do you figure out what is the uh, process you do to figure out the, uh, uh, what kind of culture the organization has? I evaluate it. I can can evaluate it in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. I can do 360s mm. or I can do on-site visits and talk to people and chat with people and just say, I'm just the explorer today. Just talk to me. And I listen to what they say. 
but I listen to what they don't say. Ooh, talk to me about that. What does that mean? So let's pretend I'm talking to someone who's very, very quiet and they don't want to throw anybody under the bus mm-hmm. and they kind of are just going to talk very naturally and positively about everyone. And they're real political because they don't want to displease anyone. Yeah. And and so I'll say to them, this is great. You must love working here. Well, yeah, I do. What's the reluctance? I ask mm-hmm. them and they say, oh, no, 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 no reluctance. And I go, but there was a pause. What does the pause mean? Well, you know, there's just this one thing, but it's okay. Mm. And I go, no. Remember, I can't repeat anything. I'm just the explorer. Yeah. What's the pause? It's okay. You can tell me what the pause is. And usually they will tell me. Mm. And I get the low down and the dirty. Now, when when employees first are 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 first really hesitant, I mean that kind of gives you a little glimpse on how the culture is, right? Because they're afraid to give negative feedback. Yes and no. There are certain people who are just not going to want to throw anybody under the bus because they're people pleasers. They're Mm -hmm. what I call the steadies in the organization. Everything is great. Everything is fine. Fine, 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 fine. Yes. And what they really mean is it's not fine, but I can't tell you because I may cry Mm -hmm. or I may get in trouble and I don't like to rock the boat. Mm. those are the ones on my exploring day that I want to sit with because they watch and they listen very well and they hear everything and they will tell me the down and dirty Uh, if I can get them to trust me. Yeah. And, and, and that's the key. That's the key that that's what I want the, the, uh, the audience to understand because the whole point of this is to get the employees to trust you. Right. Because, yes. you know, it, it's you know what your mission is. The people who hired you know what the mission is. But, you know, there, there's going to be some cynicism from the employees. Right. Like, now, who is this person asking me all these questions? And I got bills to pay. I don't want this person to go back and blabbing to Bob, the manager. Next to you, know, I'm fired. Right. So. But yeah, but there are going to be some times when they say some things that by law you would have to let HR know. Right. Like if they say I'm being sexually harassed, I mean, you would have to let somebody know about that. I would let someone know if someone was in danger. Yeah. yeah, Something like that. Yeah. No, no, I get it. But if they're just complaining about John and Mary and Sue, no, I'm not repeating it. Yeah. And when HR asks me, I just say, "Um, why don't you ask them? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, And here's the way I explain it. Because if I tell you what everyone said they won't trust me anymore, and I will have nothing to work on. That's right. That's right. And they have to be okay with it. They have to be okay because it, it, it's. I've. I've. I've seen. I've seen business leaders who are afraid of bringing you know someone of your caliber in, um, because they're afraid of the bad news they might hear. And it to me, I I equate that so for if you know if if. If you get like a pain in your chest, but you don't want to go to the doctor to check it out because you're afraid to hear bad news. Well, I mean, fine. You could be afraid to hear bad news, but at some point you're going to be forced to deal with that bad news. So why not deal with some help, right? The bad news is the best news. Yes. One client told me, um, and I will never forget this, bad news early is good news. 
Yes. Bad news early is good news. And I would assume that's got to be the hardest thing, right? Just, just, just gaining the trust of the employees. And, and how do you gain that trust? What, what, what are three key things? Because this is something I really want to focus on. What are three key things the audience would need to know about building trust with employees who are a little bit hesitant to be open with you? Never repeat anything, because if you repeat anything, they know that you might by chance repeat what they say. Mm. So that's the that's the first one. All right. The very first one. And I could say that's two and three. Also, never repeat <laughs> anything, never repeat anything, never repeat anything. All right. So but, let's make those three then. Right. Well, no, but you got more nuggets. I know you do. I do. Yeah. Always be trustworthy in everything else you do, mm. no matter what it is. If I say I'm going to bring donuts on Tuesday at eight o'clock, be there at 7.59 with donuts. Mm. Don't be there at 8.10 with donuts. I don't care if the train did come. Everything you do has to be promised and delivered. Everything. So with that promise and delivery, right? Because because you're right. That is how you uh, that is how you establish that trust, right? Um, but there's also there's also that believable factor, right? Trust is there, right? But you know, even if a person likes you, right? Because you've seen this, I've seen this. They'll tell you all these things. They say, "Oh my God, you're so great! Thank you for coming to the organization and helping us out." But then you're the topic of dinner at night. <laughs> Right, man, this lady came in talking about trust and all that fluffy stuff. I don't care about that. All I want to do is go to work, clock in, clock out, and I better have my paycheck at the end of the week. Right? Mm-hmm. It's I've run into people that way, and you know, it, it's I would like to know what what if you run into somebody like that, what do you say to them to kind of turn that boat around from their perspective? I usually say, I don't blame you, but I'm curious. What makes you only want that for yourself? Mm. What does that mean, though? So if they answer and say, well, really, my job is just my job and all I care about is the paycheck, I say, but is that truly all you get from your job? Mm. Because if it is, maybe there's a different job. And often they'll go, no, 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 no. No, that's not what I mean. I want to stay here, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I have friends here. I go, oh, so you have friends here. That's what the other thing with the paycheck. So and they go, well, yeah, I do like the friends here. So, so you're peeling that onion back. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. And I get them to say the words because, and you know this, Ricky, when people say something themselves, They hear themselves say it, it goes into their subconscious, and then at a conscious level, they believe it and they act it out. Mm. But if they don't say it themselves, they don't believe it, which is goes back to that leader we talked about in the beginning who believes that everybody's poo-poo. Well, they're not. That's right. That's right. It's every time I hear that, and 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 I'm not saying I do hear that a lot, but every time I hear when an employee says that the employees are the problem, almost almost a hundred percent of the time is the opposite, right? Because there, there's to me, there's no way that one hundred employees got it wrong, but that one leader is the one who knows everything that's going on, 
Right. right. 99 out of 100 employees do want to please you. <laughs> they do, right? They so, do. Just like they want to please their parents. Yeah. No, you're right. You are 100%. Especially now. Especially now that you got different generations in the workforce today. I think we have five different generations now um, um, in the workforce today. And those are generations that that they, they, they have a different work ethic, right? Baby boomers are different than Gen Xers. And they're different than millennials and Gen Z. And I don't know. What the next generation is going to be. I don't either. <laughs> you know, we're the only country that does that. The U.S. is the yeah. only country that does. And the reason I know that is because when I was doing research for uh, the Disrupt HR Orlando 3.0 many, many, many moons ago, I was doing something on generational differences. And I read an article that said the United States of America is the only country in the world that has labels for different age groups. And they and they attach different personalities and different work traits to that to to that group. And I found that interesting. So I, I want to ask you, do you think those labels help or they hurt I leaders' don't. abilities? No? Okay. Because I did a team development yesterday just to be transparent, and I'm an old lady, and they were all young people, and they loved me. No one looked at their phone. Mm. No one looked at their phone. Not once. Everyone was engaged. They wanted to be there. All the things that people say the young people don't do and don't want was opposite. Mm. Mm. And and look and 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 I get it. Trust me. I for 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 those of you who've never seen Karen live, let me tell you, she is electric. Because I was um, it's I saw her at um uh the Jacksonville Annual Sherm Conference. I was the uh, the MC. You went on stage dancing and doing all these things, and I'm like, where do you get that energy from? Right. <laughs> so you're talking about that you're an old lady, whatever. When you was having the conversation about when you were seven years old, trying to figure out what you wanted to do when you grew up, that was 20 years ago. So don't even start that with me. Okay. Well, a few more than 20. Got it. And then I saw you at Disrupt HR and that same energy is there. And that's why I'm like, you got to come on the show because I want to talk about how do you, how do you motivate leaders? How do you motivate employees to have that kind of energy at work? And, 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 and I, I have to understand also that there are people out there who don't care for that energy, right? There are people who just <laughs> want to go into work, clock in, do the job and leave it. And I guess that's okay. But I guess I'm thinking if you're going to spend at least one third of your day with people at work, why not make that one third really enjoyable? Why not make that one third? Um, it, it, it's be something special that affects the other two thirds of your day, right? Yeah. Everybody though um and and I'm very aware of this that I can be that I turn off the guy who is interested in numbers. I turn off the person who is more solemn and reserved. Mm. So what I do when I'm with them is I sit on my hands and I'm less expressive. Mm. I know that's hard to believe because I'm Italian, <laughs> but I am. Got it. And I also speak slower. I'm noticing that here. And I pause longer. <laughs> and the reason for that is how can they trust me when I look like a gyration smiling widget <laughs> and they're not like that. Yeah. So I become who they are and I adapt temporarily so that they do trust me. 
So I have a funny story, Ricky, that I think you'll get a kick out of. I coached a guy for a year. He's one of those people. He doesn't smile a lot. He's very reserved. He walks slow. He talks slow. Love this guy. I mean, love him. He joined one of my mastermind groups for business owners. And in the group, I was explaining to them how to adapt their communication styles to each individual person. There's four different ways of communication with different folks. And I said, for example, because I'm so animated when I'm in front of the other styles that aren't, I sit on my hands and I speak more slowly like I'm doing right now. Yeah. And he very reluctantly raised his hand because that's what they do. They ask for permission for everything. Mm. And he raised his hand and he said, you know, I have a question. During that year that you coached me, I used to always think poor Karen is so cold and I just don't want to cross the line and offer her my jacket, but she's so cold. I need to offer her my jacket because she's literally sitting on her hands I think her face is chattering. And I said, no, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't cold. And he goes, now I know you you were trying to adapt to me. You don't have to do that for me. I said, but that's how much I honor you. And he was just so blown away. So here I thought you meant it, 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 it. You were saying it as a metaphor. You was actually sitting on your hands. You actually were sitting on your I hands. I do sit on my hands <laughs> when That's I'm awesome. in front of a reserved person because I tend to use big gestures. They don't match what I'm saying half the time. And I speak very fast and very animated. Yeah. And I completely sense. slowed myself down to be the way he is. Huh. And he used to say, you relax me so much. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> I'm going to quit drinking now, right? Because I got Karen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Because, you see, that, again, that all has to do with uh, with that that reflection you see in the mirror, right? What do you, how do you want to be um, as a human being and, and as a leader of an organization? So, look, I can talk about this all day, Karen. And, 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 and I just, I just want to, I want to leave the audience with one key thing. What is one key thing you would like business leaders to understand about the power of emotional intelligence? That they can stay true to who they are but adapt in small snippets to who they're in front of and also engage their employees input more than they speak. Mm. Mm. So listen to your employees, engage with your employees and be open-minded in that process. There's a reason that leader begins with L and to me that L stands for listen. Ah, I'm going to use that one. I'm going to use that. Don't worry. I'll give you 5% of profits. It's okay. So okay. <laughs> excellent. All right. Karen, Pennies in my bank. <laughs> there you go. So how can somebody reach you? What, is, what are some of the best ways somebody can, if, if somebody says, Oh my God, I need this in my office. I need, I need some EQ training. I need some coaching. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Karen at cbkadvising.com. Excellent. So Karen at cbkadvising.com. And how can they get the book? On the website or? Amazon. Amazon. Amazon or my website. 
Yes. Excellent. All right. It's, so the website, I would have to assume because of your email domain, CBK. CBKadvising.com. Excellent. Well, yeah. Karen, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully see you the next Disrupt Each event. Uh, you'll see me, but I'm probably going to suggest my colleagues speak. How about that? Ah, Younger e- generation. E all will check it out. A different flavor. Excellent. Well, thank you very Absolutely. much. I really appreciate it. Folks, have a good one. Drive safe. Thank you. All right, folks, that is our show. I told you. I told you. Here is how to get a hold of Karen. Uh, you can get a hold of her at Karen at CBKAdvising.com. That's Karen at CBKAdvising.com. Or you can find her over on LinkedIn. That's Karen Nutter, N-U-T-T-E-R, Karen Nutter. Or you can just call her, 904-323-2946. And, folks, we are all over the place now. The HNHR podcast, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Amazon, Audible, Player FM, Google Podcasts, even iHeartRadio, and of course, Apple Music. So please don't forget to like us, share us, and just let us know what you think about the show. Or send us an email at ebias at biasco.com. Let us know what topics you would like to hear. So folks, that said, that is time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Y'all have a safe week. Have a good one.